was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi, this is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so honored to present part one of Company Week, Backstage Babble's series of episodes with members of the original cast of Company, featuring one of Broadway's most iconic stars, the legendary Donna McKechnie. Donna McKechnie won the Tony Award for starring as Cassie in the original production of A Chorus Line, and her numerous other Broadway credits include How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, The Education of Hyman Kaplan, Promises Promises, Company, On the Town, and State Fair. She was also a standby in the recent Broadway revival of The Visit. Her touring credits include Call Me Madam with Ethel Merman and A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum with Jerry Lester. On screen, she appeared in The Little Prince with Bob Fosse, and her many credits around the world include the famous production of Follies at Paper Mill Playhouse, plus starring roles in The Pajama Game at Arena Stage, The Drowsy Chaperone at Pittsburgh CLO, and The Wild Party in London. And now, without further ado, Donna McKechnie. And so I, I'd love to start by asking you uh, how you first became interested in theater. Oh, gosh, let's see. That's, well, theater. You know, I started as a little ballet girl studying ballet, and I loved it so much. And uh, then when I was seven, I, um, I think my mother was interested in me doing community theater. So I auditioned. Uh, I don't even remember it, uh, but I got Our Town, the part of the little boy Wally. That was my first role. And I was the only child and I kind of uh, was, you know, uh, fascinated by it. And I, and it, it, I loved it actually to be in a, in a, in a, in a magical place that suspended belief with all of these adults, these grownups and to be play a part. It was just all new experience and I was all full of wonder and I loved it, but I loved dancing more. I think it was a little, maybe more frightening to me um, than, um, than I, than I appreciated. And even though your parents did encourage. This was in Detroit. This oh, was, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And even though your parents did encourage you to go into community theater, did they want you to do real theater as a profession? Did they support you? Probably not. We never discussed it, but <laughs> probably not. <laughs> no, because when I, I was very, uh, when I think back, wow, a long time ago, but I was very fortunate to um, have re really good training in, in dance. And my, my ballet friend, Nancy, and we're still friends to this day, which is amazing. Um, she said, I'm going to audition for um, this New York cast that's coming to the cast theater 
in Detroit, uh, and I'm like with me. And I said, well, sure, I'm, I'm very interested because I've never seen what an audition is. And so I went purely to watch, to see what it was, because I thought maybe there might be something like this in my future. Um, so anyway, I went there. I had no dance clothes with me um, to audition. That was not my intent. And it was kind of wonderful. They were doing all of these different styles and putting the dancers through their paces. And it was, they needed one girl, one dancer for the chorus in Detroit. They needed just one. Um, and so she said, why don't you, you know, come and audition as well. Anyway, long story short, um, I said, I don't have any dance clothes. She said, I have an extra pair. So I put them on and I auditioned and I got the job. And we're still friends. And that was, but that was a very important beginning for me because I, I learned on the job uh, a lot. I got my equity card, which was, um, I joined the union and I was like 15 years old, still in high school. And we did four, what they call winter stock. It was in the winter. And we did King and I and Betty White, our dear, you know, we just lost Betty White, who was this marvelous, great actor, person, singer. She played our Anna. She was Anna. And she was fantastic. She might have been, you know, 35 then. Um, and let's see, we did Guys and Dolls and uh, Bittersweet with the original Jeanette McDonald, I mean, Jeanette McDonald, who did the original, you know, No, no Coward, Bittersweet. Um, and she was at the end of her career. So I would stand in the wings and listen to her. And she was quite wonderful. And uh, she had that beautiful soprano voice and it was just a lovely experience. And I was admi I admired all of these people and I was learning on the job. You know, I, I really learned a lot of what these other show, Bittersweet, Guys and Dolls. Oh, Bells Are Ringing with Peggy Cass. You might know about her, but you might. Yes, yes, Romaine. Yeah, Peggy Cass. And uh, she gave me some good advice. She said, just keep working and work with all different choreographers because then you learn so much about how you're informed by their different styles. And that'll be very important for you. And uh, that was really good advice. Any, anyway, the connection to New York, coming to New York was a big one. The director, um, liked my work um, and he invited me to do this dance um, tour of the South um, and <clears throat> with about six of us and a singer, a baritone. And uh, we were going, he said, do you think your parents would let you come to New York and rehearse for four weeks and then tour the South, you know, for about six weeks? And I said, I don't know, I'll ask them. And I asked them and they said, no, of course. <laughs> And then I asked them again and they said, no. So let's see, how can I put this? So I had this idea that it was a life and death, you know, situation and I, it was my only chance and they were gonna pay me $75 a week, which was tremendous. And so I planned my escape and I ran away to rehearsals in New York and my father took a plane and brought me home. And I think, there was somebody that talked to them. I think my dance teacher said, well, let her go, let her do this. And then she'll see how hard it is and she'll come back home. And so I went and I had a wonderful time. 
and I stayed in New York and it was, it was sad in a way. I mean, it, it caused them a lot of pain, you know, uh, as you can imagine. And I felt bad, bad about it. I felt bad. I felt guilty for many years, but I never could go back. I just felt that this is where I belong. So I thought I have to earn their, um, their, their sense of security and their, their respect and their support by getting, by staying, uh, you know, working. I have to show them that I'll be okay because, you know, they were worried, of course, because um, I was still a teenager. So that's, I kept working thank, thanks to the good training I had. Um, and I kept learning. I got my first Broadway show, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And that was like going to university. Because being just a dancer, I thought, oh my gosh, we can, we have text, we have music, we have songs, we have, all, if I can learn how to act and sing, then I can really have a life that's much longer than a dancer's life. I saw a kind of a flash of the possibility. So that's what I did. I was very lucky to have a show that, you know, was such a big hit and won the Pulitzer Prize and, um, these great people, Frank Lesser, the composer, lyricist, and um, A. Burroughs directed it, and Bobby Morse, and you know, just, just fantastic, a fantastic thing. And with my, I think I made like $166 a week, and I put most of it to my living and my acting and uh, classes and uh, voice lessons, and I became this professional student because I wanted to, you know, and luckily the show ran for a couple years for me. I left the show um, to audition for my first singing role, now that I had some lessons under me, um, to do the national tour of a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. And that's where I met Stephen Sondheim. I got the job and I was so nervous. I, uh, I'll tell you quickly, uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I knew the song and I sang it, you know, the I'm lovely song. And uh, I was so nervous that whatever my timing was, George Abbott, the director, thought it was very funny because I didn't know it was a funny part. I just, so it took me that whole year of being on tour in that show to find that timing that I had the very first day I auditioned because I was determined to get those laughs again, because, you know, it was just, uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but those are the things that, um, that are quite, quite wonderful when you look back and you see how you, you find your way if you want it enough, you know, and you, and you love what you do. And I learned and everybody was very kind to me. Yeah. They probably were, were scared for me. <laughs> they probably felt sorry for me, but um, it was a wonderful way of also um, seeing the world, seeing our country, not the world, seeing our country, which was like the world to me, um, to go to all these different big major cities as they used to do. I think they still do, right? You probably know more than I do. Oh, yes, yes, they do. Yeah. So we, I was able to go to all of these major cities and we would sit for a while. And the first thing I did was to check into the hotel and then go see the local either cemetery or a museum. And I wanted to learn so much about where I was 
And there's a lot you can learn from cemeteries, you know, the history of the, the area. So that's, that was my um, schooling. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you were first in New York, when you first got there, were musicals something that you were considering or did you think that you would be a ballet dancer? And if so, how did I, Yeah, I wanted to be a ballet dancer and I auditioned. I got pretty close um, with Lucia Chase, who was running uh, American Ballet Theater. Um, and I, I did a week's audition with a lot of other dancers. And um, I just didn't understand that when you that she essentially said to me, you're very good. You're, we're going to Russia next year and you're very young. So I'd like you to study at the school for a year and, and perhaps you can go into the company next year. Well, this is a fantastic offer. I mean, this is a great offer, but I took it as a rejection and I took it personally, which is unfortunate. Well, actually it turned out to be good for me, but I, but I, um, I took it so personally that I thought, you know, my life was over and certainly in ballet. And um, then I thought, well, now I have to get a job. I have to show my parents that I can uh, make a living. So I did West Side Story. I auditioned for a little tour in the um, Massachusetts area, the Summerstock. And uh, Frank Cassaro directed it. And it was quite quite uh, quite a wonderful production and I loved it. And I thought, this is, um, this is really great. And this is before I did How to Succeed. So I think that's when I went because we did the original Jerome Robbins choreography. And when you do the original staging, you are informed so much about what it's about what the intent is of the characters, because that choreography is sensational. Um, and I, I can't wait to see, I'm seeing the movie, the new one, the, oh. the new, yeah, tomorrow. And, and I hear that they did a great job. I'm, I'm so excited to see it. But anyway, that's, that's when I decided that maybe I could stay, keep doing this kind of work because it was thrilling to, to be a part of the story, the whole thing. And then of course, how to succeed that, that made me just well, dig my heels in. And what was that audition like for, of course, not, not Bob Fosse at the time, but Hugh Lambert for How to Succeed? Oh, it was, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. Well, he did a lot of very strong moves, knees knocking, you know, and I mean, really kind of wonderful, exciting um, things. Actually, I, I don't, I think I auditioned for him, but actually Cy Fewer saw me audition for, for a, an industrial. They used to do big industrials for like car companies and everything. And um, Cy Fewer saw my audition for that and I got that job. And he asked me if I would like to do a Broadway show. I mean, the, at the, the theater, you used to audition at the, on the stage in a theater. And he, it was the Helen Hayes. And he took me back to the back of, of the theater. And he asked me if I would be interested in doing a Broadway show. And I said, yes. And I got the show, you know, I mean, this is crazy because it doesn't happen that way. But I thought that's what, how it happened that a producer would just see you do something and say, it does happen, but not at that stage, <laughs> usually. 
So I think I went into uh, the show already kind of, you know, set. But I did a dance for Hugh and I, and we all loved Hugh Lambert. Um, and I don't know if you're interested in this, but I, for me as an, as a beginner, um, we did, we did um, three days working on Paris original, which was a, a tough number to, for him to stage, I think, but I, I didn't know. I just would go in and we do. So we were three days on one number. Now, looking back, that that was too much time spent on one number. And it made the producers very nervous. Yes. So I, I don't know what transpired, but all of a sudden, one day, Hugh was not there. And Bob Fosse was with Gwen Verdon, who kind of was like our dance captain, um, even though she was a great star at the time. She was between jobs, I used to say. But she was there because they obviously had no pre-production pre work. So they were kind of like there, seeing where, where we were and how they could fix it and uh, improve it or, you know, whatever. But they were, they were there. And when, we, and when we went out of town, uh, the wonderful, generous thing that Bob Fosse did for Hugh, you may know this, um, uh, is that he wanted, he didn't want to take Hugh's credit from the show. So he had to, um, so he, he left one number in. So Hugh got credit and the number was really great. Oh. The pirate, the pirate ship, the dance. Um, but it was kind of um, strange in that when we were out of town, I would look up in the balcony while we rehearsed on the stage and there would be like a red light up there. It was Hugh smoking a cigarette when people used to smoke. Um, he would be smoking a cigarette and it was a little red light would burn. And I just felt me and uh, Tracy Everett, uh, a wonderful dancer who was in the show, we would go up because we were like the kids in the show. We were the youngest. And we, we would climb the balcony when we weren't working and just sit on each side of him. And we didn't talk, we just sat there because we wanted him to know that in some way that we were aligned with him, yeah. you know? And so I, that was a memory that I just uh, was so strange, but he was there. Anyway, I thought it was very wonderful of Bob Fosse, uh, um, you know, it was very kind and um, the right, you know, the right thing to do. And he did it. Yeah. And what was it like to be um, living in New York, I assume alone and, and on Broadway at such a young age? Well, it was scary at times. It was lonely and I got homesick. Um, I, I didn't live alone. I had roommates because you can, you know, like now when people are just coming to New York and it's always a little easy. New York is very, it was expensive then. But it's really expensive now. Um, it's all relative, but um, I had roommates. We lived on Ninth uh, Avenue. Oh, we, I lived at the Y first, and that was that was nice. Um, and I I met friends there. You know, it was just for women, so I it was a very I felt comfortable and um, and I had some good. I have a good friend uh, from the, those days. My gosh. Um, you know, we, we just talked, it was her birthday and I just, you know, wished her happy birthday. Um, 
I lived there for a while. Then a, a few of us moved in and we had like um, what I call revolving roommates. <laughs> you know, we'd have an apartment on 54th and uh, 9th Avenue, which was really dicey then. Now it's kind of a, a great fun place, but then it was really, West Side was like rough. Yeah. But we had, we shared a, a one bedroom and there were three of us and somebody slept on the couch and then there were two beds in the bedroom and it was a small apartment, but it was fun. You know, we would go to all the, you had someone to go out with. Um, uh, you could be alone, you know, sometimes and which was nice to play your records. And we would go to the, all the jazz clubs down in the West Village and uh, dance. And it was just, a, a, I remember being just, um, loving the life but the underside was that it was um it was lonely and I got homesick and one time I gathered whatever money I had earned and I I thought I'm going to surprise my folks and I flew to Detroit and got the bus and get, went down to you know my my uh, hometown Royal Oak and went to their house and nobody was there and I couldn't get in I didn't have keys because I didn't tell them I was coming home. They had gone on a vacation. So I had, I had to come right back to New York. Isn't that awful? So to speak of this sort of um, underside a little bit, I, I'd be curious to ask you, um, being a performing and being, of course, a star in Times Square in the 70s, which was famously sort of seedy, do you have memories of that side of things? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was... It was New York for, for yeah. me then. It, it kind of, I liked it when things got a little cleaner, you know, that was, that was kind of comfortable. But, you know, I, I love New York. And it's like right now we're going through a difficult time in a whole other way. But, uh, you know, New York always, it's about the people too. It's the energy. And uh, it was rough, but I didn't, I, I just had my eyes set on, what I did and what I love to do and the friends that I made and the, the work that we, we did, you know, was a very exciting and um, a struggle, but nothing, you know, nothing like that is easy. And I felt kind of the, the New York was mirroring that, you know, New York was struggling at the time. It was nice when things got a little better, but you know, I didn't, you just learn to, um, you learn to be street smart, I guess is what I'm saying. You learn not to, you know, when someone comes up to you, you don't, you don't, you don't go to someone who is saying, um, I'm trying to think of an example. If they ask you a question right away, it's more safe than if they say, hi, can I talk to you for a second? You know what I mean? Yeah. If the question comes out, then you can, while you're walking away, you can answer it if they need directions. You know what I mean? You just... And for a young girl, you have to be really, and I had friends who would, you know, we, you know, tell me what, what was up, um, but you learn quickly. You learn to try to avoid any, but, you know, I don't think, as I think back, I, I was pretty lucky that way too. And how did, um, how did Hullabaloo happen for you where you first met um, Michael Bennett? Yeah, that was an audition at Variety Arts, which is no longer a parking lot now, but we all went to Variety Arts for rehearsals and auditions. And um, 
we, uh, David Winters was the choreographer. And when I came to New York, all the dancers in West Side Story were iconic to us. They were like gods. And Jaime Rogers was a, a, a shark. David Winters was a jet. Um, he played Baby John. And he was uh, a wonderful choreographer. Anyway, we were all at the audition. And then the next time we were together, the, those of us that got the job, we all met and uh, we were off and running. And it was a very thrilling experience to work on television um, with when variety shows were, this was a really good group of people, NBC, um, Peter Matz, a wonderful uh, arranger, conductor, played with this new uh, NBC orchestra, which was the greatest musicians in New York. And they, they play Broadway as well, but they were just fine musicians. And doing, you know, <clears throat> a show a week, um, it, was, it was just great. And that's when, when Michael and I, uh, and the other people too, we became friendly. And, and, um, and I remember asking him, um, when I, I first asked him, you know, what, what do you wanna do when you grow up? You can't keep doing, you know, all this stuff. I was really talking to, you know, myself too, like dancing is a short life. Yeah. And he looked at me very seriously and boy, it was powerful. He said, I want to be a choreographer. No, he said, I'm going to be a choreographer. Yeah, big difference. Yeah. And uh, I knew when he said it that he was really going to do it. And I thought, well, don't forget me. Um, Michael was, was so... Uh, talented even then that a lot of dancers who worked with him kind of um well they they kind of followed him around you know not just literally but they they kept they kept you know they kept their friendships because they they knew that he was you know going somewhere and, and doing a lot of wonderful things yeah um yeah so that was that was a fun time it was really the, the power of, that's when I learned the power of television. Um, we had a studio audience, but I mean, millions of people, you know, when you go to a theater, it's, you know, you, there's a lot of people there in the theater, but on television, it's so far reaching. So that was a, that was a very, um, I learned a lot yeah. there. And you always do when you're working with the best people, you know, for, in that that business yeah. and with uh, with Michael Bennett did you become friends or even in love at sort of first sight or first encounter or did friends that... well no it, it it developed over time there was a lot of mutual respect I, I I appreciated the fact that he we had we had similar um dance styles I think I think the connection was he had ballet training and jazz training and he was a tapper i wasn't <clears throat> but the um the style we we i think we had i've never analyzed it but when he choreographed things it fit it suited me really well i really it, it i just really liked the way he he danced and how he expressed himself there was one number 
that um, the producer said, okay, um, I think Jaime Rogers, David was out of town. Jaime said, this is a number just for the dancers. We're gonna, everyone's gonna have a solo. And uh, so, but you have to choreograph your own solo. And I was stuck because I never felt that, that impetus, you know, to, to do that. Um, and I said, Michael, would you help me? Would you choreograph something? And he said, sure. And he did. And that was the first time that he choreographed for me and specifically. And what, he, what I learned was that he, and what I loved was that he used my, my sense, um, my, the things I could do well, he utilized that. So it, I loved my section. He choreographed it and it, it suited him well, but he wanted the drum section. There was one drum so and um, so, uh, yeah, and I, I think back about um, that was a, a really important beginning. And this is going in ahead in time, but a show that you did choreograph on Broadway was the Sondheim Musical Tribute. And so yeah. how did that sort of develop? How did that happen? Um, well, this was, a, <clears throat> this was a benefit for AMDA and the producer asked me, and I was thrilled to have this opportunity because um, I'm trying to think, because I had already done company, I'd done a Sondheim show. I'd done two Sondheim shows, um, Forum and Company. And they wanted to link as many people that had, you know, had connection with Sondheim. And I was thrilled that I could have the opportunity. I was in it as well. I was, I was thinking today, I remember I did Buddy's Blues with Larry Blyden. And Cheetah, I don't, I think I did another number and I can't remember. Um, but I loved staging numbers for my idols, you know, Cheetah Rivera and Angela Lansbury and all of them. Um, and, the, and I learned enough by then to know that to keep it, you know, kind of simple. And Bert Sheveloff was the director who I learned a lot from him in terms of uh, presenting concert a show in concert. Um, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. And it was just a wonderful experience. And everybody was just there for everybody. It was, it was great. Yeah. And I'd love to, um, to ask you about the great Harvey Evans, who was in that. Who yes, yes. My friend. Yeah, I'm very sad at, at this loss. Um, but he's, um, he was just just the best person and he was like a brother to me he was very supportive and like i say when i came to new york um all of these dance the west side story people were just you know they they led the way um and harvey well he was just entirely lovable you you've heard that if, if you know if you did you meet him no, no, I never got to, but okay. But but he was just a lovable person who loved to work and uh and he did. He worked on on film and, and television and concert on stage and Broadway shows. I mean, so many more and more shows than anyone I know, I think. Um yeah. And so to go back in time a little bit, I'd love to talk about a show you worked on with Michael Bennett, which was a joyful noise. You did, I believe, oh, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, it was, well, I, I was, I always was a little envious that I wasn't in the, in the dance 
dancing and um, I miss dancing. I was, in, but I, 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 John Raid was a wonderful, he was wonderful. I mean, I always admired him. Um, yeah, so that I, I missed not being in all the production numbers. It's like doing a play. When you do a play, or when I do a play, I I I miss the music, you know. And then when I do a musical, I want to do the. Uh, I go, gosh, it would be great if I could do this and grammatically and and with just text. And so I'm, I've been in both worlds. And but I love music too much. So your um progression from being a dancer to being a star did that sort of happen was that something that you would set your sights on or did that sort of happen actually? well I, it, it wasn't so much being a star i kind of um really uh, supported more of an idea of of learning and being an, an actress i like the word actress but I'll, I'll say actor um but i was more concerned in the art of musical theater which is an American art form, unique to us in ways. And I, I was on that soapbox a little bit. So I wanted to learn to be better at singing and acting. And I, and I really worked hard at that um, so that I could maybe realize all the potential I had. And that was the achievement and the people I, that I admired so that I was able to work with, like Bob Fosse, like Gwen, they were about the work. Stephen Sondheim, I mean, any of the people, Michael Bennett, certainly, anyone, I mean, Michael had ambition. I mean, ambition is part of it, yeah. But being a star was not my, um, that's not where my mind went. It went to being successful at what I did. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. Yeah. And a um a great uh, lady of the musical theater who you worked with was Ethel Merman at twice yes. viewing uh, Call Me Madam. And so yeah. what, what was that like to be on stage with Ethel Merman? Oh, it was it was great. She was um she was a little intimidating, but she was fantastic. I used to stand in the wings to watch her, like I did with Jeanette McDonald. Um and I thought, well. Not everybody liked her style of performing because it was very, you know, she set everything, every every angle, every gesture. And she just had that instrument that was so piercing and, and powerful. Um, but, you know, the people were on their feet every night for her um, because she was, she really gave, hundred percent and that's what I learned from her because we're all different instruments really but I she gave so much and she did the same show every night you know I didn't I didn't know that her daughter had died no one told me and I you know Ethel never toured Mary Martin toured all over but Ethel wanted to be in New York and this was uh, unique for her to go on this uh, Kenley circuit um this circuit of theaters in ohio um to do call me madam and i think it was her way of dealing with her grief um but i found out afterwards that that's why she was not very available you know to be chummy with yeah uh, but i did meet her after and we we were very friendly but um but she she was going through a difficult time and and it's very poignant to me when I think back of what she must have been going through 
because she would do her performance and then she would walk right off the stage into the dressing room and she'd come in the theater. She wouldn't be available for even hello, goodbye, anything. So I kind of left her alone. And what do you think the art is to leading a company, both on stage and off? Well, she certainly, she set a tone, if that's what you mean. She set a tone. Um, but, you know, the companies I worked with, they were more of an ensemble. You know, they were, you know, the, the professional theater. It's like you have, you know, I'm trying to think. But, you know, someone who's above the title, especially like on tours, um, you do set the tone. I, I remember um, when I toured with a chorus line, um, I gave a few parties because I thought along the road, it, 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 you need to get together. So it was fun for me to, you know, to throw some parties and have it together and, and celebrate, you know, all the work that they were doing. So in a way that I, I wanted everyone to be, to get along and to not, you know what I mean? So I made an effort to, to give that way, to kind of set a tone. And, and when someone's, I guess what you mean is when, um, well, I don't know what you mean, but I think when you are, you know, a lead in a show, um, you, you have to, you know, people will look up to you. So it's, it's good to um, be kind, you know, and generous. Yeah. And there are situations that people weren't kind or generous, but they're, they're very few. And what was your, I'd be curious to know, what was your daily life like as a performer on Broadway? Did you have to sort of live like a monk, as they say, to be yeah, able to Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Especially a, sh a dancing show. I mean, any show, because you are, um, I mean, I was young. And when you're, when you're young and you're, you're 20s and, you know, and even your 30s, you know, you have a lot of energy. But as I got older... I had to really make an effort to, you know, take care of myself better, not eat. And also it was about education, about growing up in the 50s and 60s. I mean, health was different then. I remember telling um, um, a doctor that I was taking vitamin pills and he goes, well, that's ridiculous. Just eat, eat, you know, whole food. Well, you can't always eat whole food. So um, so I had to learn and educate myself a lot. Um, and then, you know, you have to like rest. I remember going when I did two show days, like at a company, I would, I would have to take a nap between shows. So I would have the energy. And um, so it takes a lot of energy. Yeah. yeah. And I started as I, as I, as I got older I guess what I'm saying is that I started respecting myself more and more that way. Yeah. And how did company come about? How did the audition happen? Well, I don't think I, I again, it was like, it was the first time I got a job where someone said, like Hal Prince, I, I was invited to his office and I had um, the script and I thought I was going to read for him. And he kept talking to me and talking to me about the show and he showed me the set and I was getting more and more nervous. And I said, Hal, I mean, can I read for you? I mean, do you want me to read? And he said, oh no, you've got the job. Oh. And I went, oh, really? 
Well, I think what what I I was like the bait, I think, for Michael Bennett, because he wanted Michael very much to to, uh, to choreograph it. And Michael was on the fence a little because he was up and coming, you know, Promises, Promises was um, his first big hit. And he wanted to make sure that he could be successful. And he was gonna be asked to work with non-dancers, you know, the married couples um, who could move, probably move very well. Um, so he was not sure about that. And um, so I think when Hal said, we have Donna, he went, okay, now I can, find a way to do a dance number so that I think that I think I'm, I might be making that up but I think that's what happened because that was highly unusual to go into a producer's office although it did happen with Cy Fuhr now that I think of it um, but to have Hal just say it's yours um, it was a great feeling I mean that's the way you should always get I like I like getting shows that way I don't know if Maybe some people like auditions. I never liked auditions. I got too, you know, I got too nervous. Even though I know that there are tools and there are techniques to audition, I can tell somebody else, but it's always been a little difficult for me. Yeah, yeah. And what was your perspective in company on the replacement of Dean Jones with Larry Kurt? Did you think that that was a good thing or? Well, I love, I mean, uh, Dean Jones was, um, I, I just, I was mad for him. Um, he was so great, but I don't know if you've read anything about what, what transpired um, because Dean had to leave the show. He, he was going through a very difficult time and made only more difficult by the fact that um, we were told by, by management to leave him alone. And of course that was maybe the worst thing we could have done. Um, because he thought we, we hated him and there, there was no support. Um, and then the reason I'm talking about it is that there was a resolve 20 years later when we all got together to do company concert at Lincoln Center. Um, he, the moment he came into the, we were so happy that he was there because we could resolve that, that, that you know, he never said goodbye, he just left. Um, and then when he came into the room, we all ran to each other like magnets and we all got to glom together saying, oh, thank you for being here. We love you. And he goes, I thought you hated me. And no, we loved you. No, I thought you hate. No, we thought you hated us. We, we thought we stayed away because we thought you needed us to stay away. You know? So it was all this. That was the first day of rehearsal to put this show back together. And that was just a great feeling to be on that stage after 20 years. And there Dean was so brilliant and everybody, everybody was just wonderful. Um, but Larry uh, was, was great. And if you, I mean, I think one of the best performances of that number, Being Alive, is on that recording of the uh, 1973 um, Sondheim tribute. He, he was just wonderful. You know, they're very different. Yeah. yeah. But, but both great and Larry did it you know had a, of course had that wonderful west side story success and he he was so grateful to have this role in the, even in the beginning when he was standing by because he felt like 
he didn't do right by the by the work right after West Side Story. And he needed that second chance. And he felt that company gave him that second chance and it did. And when he opened as the star in London, um, he was just great. He, he just loved it. And he was very happy, you know, to finally uh, appreciate it in a way that a newcomer might not. And what was it like to have this uh, simultaneous personal and professional relationship with Michael Bennett? Well, we were friends. I mean, there was no conflict until after Chorus Line. Oh. If that's what you're talking about. Oh, well, or even just no, we were we were friends. There was no romance until you know after Chorus Line opened. Um, and then it felt inevitable in some ways, but that's another, that's another story. <laughs> but we were, no, we were good friends. And, and I think um, there was a lot of love and respect for our, our the way, the intu intuitive response to the work. Um, like Michael spoiled me in many ways by, he would be in a rehearsal room and he would start dancing and I would, take what he got and I would do something and he would like it or not like it and, and continue. So it's like answering someone's, um, you know, finishing a sentence with someone. Um, and it was just a wonderful way of working without maybe, it was an intimate way of working, but it wasn't so personal, you know, but it was very intimate. I don't know how to explain it, um, but you get it, right? And uh, and we we had we had a great working relationship, um, and chorus line was a was just a, a a mountain to climb, and Michael showed a lot of courage and and um, fortitude because it wasn't always it didn't start out to be wonderful it started out to be very exciting and interesting an idea, but then to develop it it went through all so many different stages. So it was rough at times, but it was, uh, you know, but he, he, I learned a lot from seeing him be brave with, you know, demand, his demands and, and protecting the work and, you know, never giving up. Yeah, yeah. And what was his relationship like with Hal Prince or how did you observe that? Oh, they had a great relationship. Um, and Michael was, uh, wanted to do work with people of that caliber, like Sondheim, like Hal Prince. Um, he wanted to learn and 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 achieve. And and one once after company, um, it was such a collaborative. And the other thing that I learned um, from both of them is that musical theater is is just it's a it's a true collaboration. And Michael, you know, again, that's, that's how he developed the workshop, that we all were all part of it. It creates conflict sometimes when people aren't used to it, but, it, um, but their relationship then, I mean, it always, it always had respect, but when Michael was doing Follies, he wanted to take, he wanted to make sure that he could um, put his stamp on it as a director as well. So they reached, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes in terms of their business agreements, but 
it was important for him to be co-director yeah. and to get credit for it because uh, company, I would, you know, that it was the first, I think, a musical of concept, you know, where it was like a cinematic. Yeah. And yeah. that had a lot to do with Michael's inventiveness. And I think that he was ready. He knew that after that, he was ready to kind of step out on his own. So yeah. it evolved. Yeah. And I'd love to ask specifically about the TikTok dance solo that you did in company. Uh, well, gosh, how do I explain it? It, um, it, it was the expression of um, the girlfriend, Kathy. And it was like a, a, a rich layer of, uh, there were the, the married couples, there were the girlfriends, and then there was the scene out of which it came, which was with the airline stewardess and they're in bed. And um, so it's the voiceover between Bobby and April is going on while, while meanwhile, this is the cinematic part of it. There's like on another part of the screen, there's this music happening. And then Kathy comes up in this elevator, this great, you know, Boris Aronson set. And I had all four platforms and I kept, I, while they were in the scene, but it was a voiceover, I would be on, I would go to each level. And as the, the um, their, their lovemaking would happen, it was like my, how can I, this is not a good explanation. I would, I would bring it on stage. Um, the dance evolved and, uh, and then it got very passionate and it was very emotional. And it was very um, abstract, like a painting. So you were, and you were hearing that. And, and then in the middle of it, you heard, I love you, female voice. And then I stopped and with my back to the audience. And then you heard him try to answer her, I love you back, but he couldn't. He went, I, I, and it, after all of that great music, and this very physical um, dance that they covered the whole stage. It was very athletic. There was stop and then I looked around and then it went into a beautiful lyrical uh, part of a reprise of um, Someone is Waiting. And it got very much the Kathy's point of view of the yearning and the desire and the fact that he can't be there but it's my all, my thought was always to build it on, but it's not gonna stop me from, from loving. Yeah. In, in other words, the, the dance of frustration, of anger was, it didn't end on that note. It was, it was all about the yearning and the desire and the achievement. I will, I will love, no one will discourage me. Um, so I had to deal with the reflection of what he was thinking and what she, what she was thinking along with my point of view. That's not a very good way to describe it, but um, it wasn't intellectual at all. You know that. <laughs> but it was, it, it, the music was so powerful. The arrangement is one of the best dance arrangements ever. Um, it's just so sophisticated. And then the overlay of the voices, all these textures going on at the same 
time with this vision of this, this girlfriend in a little French slip jumping through all of these platforms and onto the stage. And, and, uh, and, and it was just a, I mean, that's the, what I hear from people too, because when you're doing it, you, you don't get, you have an idea of, of the impact, but you're really in it. You know, you're, you're really making your choices and the choreography is trying to say something and you're, you know, I talk a lot, <laughs> but, but anyway, I don't know what else I can say about it. It was, it was a very, um, it, it wasn't in the beginning, they cut it, you know, out of town because it wasn't very good because sometimes if something doesn't work, it's out and then you're out of a job, right? So I, I pleaded, I begged, um, you know, when they took it out, I said, let's, can we fix it? Can we try this? And there was kind of a little argument, not an argument, but a kind of a challenge. And, you know, I felt like I was fighting for my life in a way I was. Um, and Hal said, okay, go up, go up to your dressing room. It's half hour. You've got to do the show. And I said, I'm not leaving the stage until you tell me it's going to be okay and you're going to fix it. And he said, okay, we'll fix it. Go upstairs, get ready. Um, and I, the audacity to, to say that to him, I can't believe it, but that's what I felt. And, um, and they did. The first day off, we went into the theater and uh, I think for the whole day, we just worked on the number and they did the arrangement and then it was in the show. And it was just, I'm very grateful. And I, I'd love to ask, what would you want to say to people who are attempting company today? Like, I know I saw the photos of you at the opening of the recent production, but what would you want? Yeah, to yeah, I loved it. Oh, it's, it, what would I want people oh, to- or, or what would you want people to remember from what you did originally when they're doing it? Oh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's so totally different. I mean, it's a totally different show. I thought it was, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, it was highly entertaining and, and the, the, it's gorgeous, it's this gorgeous score. And the, the, the design of it, everybody was great. I mean, it was just a great, but it was totally different. It was just, yeah, different. But as I would hear certain songs or lyrics, I, I was in their story. But I would I would find myself going back to like what, what Elaine Stritch would the way she would sit there and smoke her cigarette and her lines you know I, those line readings and Barbara Berry was brilliant was sitting behind me and you know I kept thinking of Charles Kimbrough and you know Elaine and you know Pam Ayers you know was sitting over here um, so I I loved both shows. I don't know how else I could. It's hard. It's hard because I loved just as a, an audience member, I would love the original company for what it was. But this brings it into the present. A different va different values are are expressed, and, and you know, there's it's great entertainment in a whole different way. And a, a sort of similar question, what is it like for you to watch productions of A Chorus Line, which I imagine will be even more personal since it's parts of your story as well? Well, I love it when it's good. I mean, I just want it to be good. 
I want, you know, I love it when, I love it when they use Michael Bennett's staging and choreography. And the ones that I usually have seen have been Bjork Lee has, you know, directed and choreographed, which is, they're always great um, because she does that, you know, she does Michael Bennett's work. Um, and, um, but I, I just want it to be good. And, and when they're really good, I really, en I enjoy it. I mean, I love the show. It, the, the, the meanings of certain things change, but that's okay because when, when, <clears throat> when you're all very individual, it's important for the personality of the individual to, to show itself a little, you know? Um, but the, but mostly the, the ones I've seen, I've really liked. I saw one great one. There was a school production in Rondo Beach many years ago that their energy level was so high that it would just it was thrilling. <laughs> they never took a breath. I mean, there was no air between lines at all. They were just like that was kind of uh, the nature of of the excitement that you you know it was great. And what would you, or what advice would you want to give to any young actress playing Cassie? My apologies and my sympathy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the tendency is to start at the top of the scene when she's finally, when he goes, Cassie, stay on stage, is they start this, the scene as if they're going to be rejected. In other words, they're playing the end of the scene when you have to play each moment so that when you come up to, you know, uh, when he says stay on stage, it might mean that he wants you to have a, we, finally a personal conversation and that's good. Um, but if the casket gets too defensive too soon and then it takes goes into this other level of dance, this heightened reality, and then sometimes it's very general and it, it stays on one level, you know, they dance hard all the way through it. Um, but instead of building a storyboard in, in their, their, you know, emotionally. And that has a lot to do with the direction as well. You need to have the permission to, you know, to do what you want to do. Yeah. But I would say, yeah, d d build, build the number physically, emotionally, and don't play the end of the scene until it's the end. And I'm, I'm sure you must have answered this question a lot of times, but how much of your own story is there in Cassie and or in any of the other characters? Well, yes, I mean, there, um, I relate to her a lot, but she was the last character to be, you know, it's the most fictionalized character. Um, and it didn't always work. And again, when, when you asked me about how was it, it, it wasn't, it was a bumpy road. Yeah. Um, um, but little parts of all of our conversations and all of our life, our childhood memories from many people are in different characters. If Michael or James Kirkwood or Nicholas Dante liked something, or if more than one or two people had the same experience, they go, oh, that's going to be like, you know, people will relate to that. So they would uh, divide, divide, th design things that way, you know, use lines. Um, so I'm in about some of my interviews in about six different characters. And Cassie was, was the challenge. Uh, that was the real, that once that came, you know, and found its place, um, 
it it worked you know it was it was great but it, it was it was really a bumpy road to get there yeah and to to go back how did you first hear about the tape sessions and did you know what they were sort of leading up to or well michael told me you know we we'd worked together we were friends and he he wanted me to to be a part of it and he gave me a little bit of the background of, of Tony Stevens, who I knew and, and you know liked a lot, and Michonne coming to him because they were in the show. You know all this history, right? Um, I can tell you do. Um, and they wanted, they knew that Michael would have some influence in really seeing this happen, making this happen. And they didn't know what it was, and he didn't either. So he was quite honest when he brought everybody together and said, I don't know what this is, if it's gonna be a, a book, a musical, a film, whatever. But we just wanna, I wanna just talk about what it's like to be a dancer in show business. And he started with himself, but he said the first three questions in, um, in, the, in a chorus line, essentially that's what he asked us to address. So let's, cause we had a big tape machine there. He said, just say your name, where you're from, and why did you decide to become a dancer? That were the three questions. And we each went around and, and, uh, and just talked. And dancers talking um, was like a whole new thing because in, when I was growing up in, in theater, musical theater, the singers got all of the little small parts and the lines, you know, the crossovers when they had to change the set before we had technology. Um, and so dancers never got, they couldn't speak. I mean, they were treated like they couldn't speak. So all of a sudden we're sitting around, it's like the dams opened and we're just talking you know, all night. And we did it again, another night. Um, and there was so much discovery and like people that you worked with and you thought you knew, you, you thought, you knew them and then you realized you didn't. And then some people you thought, oh my God, we're, we're just alike. Yeah. We, we feel the same way about things. Um, it, was, it was quite wonderful. And Michael, it ignited his desire to pursue this and really make it something. And that's when he went to Joe Papp who essentially gave him um, the space, the theater to do it. And it was like, was Michael's dream come true? Because Michael knew that he had to do something on his own to be really happy. That he had to conceive it, you know, direct it, choreograph it. And uh, that, that's what he set out to do. And were there any stories told at these gatherings that you would have included in a chorus line, but that weren't ultimately? Sorry, I, probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a lot, probably a lot. Um, I, I don't remember. I mean, there, there were a lot of things that were um, were changed. Yeah. yeah. Casting was changed. Um, numbers were changed. I mean, I had a long monologue about vacuuming and my cat falling out a window or some crazy thing like that. That was cut, but I was happy about that. But we were trying to give... Um, Cassie, like a nervous breakdown. I mean, Michael kept trying to figure out why is she there? And, um, and I said, because he had a situation in his real life where a dancer uh, that he knew 
had gone off to do a lead in a movie. And so when she came back to audition for the chorus for him, um, he, he said, I can't hire you. You're overqualified. And he, he told us all of that. I mean, he told us that story to, um, to, to bring that into focus, to put in chorus line. In other words, he couldn't, he couldn't live with her um, lack of success. And it was a quite of a, it was quite a, a thing to admit to, yeah. you know, to, to be, um, to be that nervous around someone like for that reason. So Cassie became kind of that, that character because at first they were trying to give her a nervous breakdown and we talked about that. And so I was vacuuming and vacuuming and going crazy. And then that was too far out. So all of it, eventually it took time and um, it wasn't all terrible. It was fun. I mean, it was kind of fun. To, it was like playing games. Well, what have you got for her today? You know, um, but so yeah, it took a while, but based on, so that's why I say it was fictionalized because it was based on truth. That situation was incorporated um, and yeah. Yeah. And were there changes made between the public theater and Broadway? I mean, we, we were still working on it when audiences came, I mean, I remember coming in and the audience like really hating me, my first entrance, because I didn't start the show with the rest of them. I came in after they were on the line and and that was um, Michael being very, trying to give me a star's entrance, which killed me. You know, it was like, I said, you're, you're killing me with kindness. Um, so then he realized that, and he learned a lot about what, the, the audience response helped him uh, figure out what he needed to do. I mean, it was, it was a very, you know, and the show, when I came in after they finished that opening number, that, that didn't stay very long. That was like two days or two shows. And then of course, you know, he, we had a, a time when friends would, Michael's friends would come in and, um, and, um, and see it and give him, you know, their advice and he would take it or not take it and everybody he got feedback and even Joe Papp loved it and Michael said well what what help are you if you just love everything you know <laughs> I need you to tell me what what to fix how to make it better um, but he figured that out and did you think did you think that you had the juggernaut that a car sign was when you were oh no no I I knew the first time I heard at the ballet that it was going a, a beautiful work of art because those lyrics and that music really got that what what dancing is about and what the heart of a dancer is and um but I didn't know how far reaching it would be or you know how popular or how many years it would be going on again more over and over to many like four or five generations no, we didn't know. Nobody, not even Michael. Yeah. And did the show or the role change in significance for you as you? I think it was a range of 15 years between the first time and last time you played Cassie. In significance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was, um, 
I enjoyed it more because I was, I guess, more objective. It wasn't like chorus line fever. When you're doing it all day, you're like, I called us the hothouse tomatoes, you know? Uh, it, it's just, you. it's so much of it. You're living it so much of the time. And then to be able to have that separation and then go back um, and then be older and better in some ways. I mean, the my singing was much better. My acting was much better. I developed as you get older. I mean, I didn't know this, but you never do until you actually live it. Um, you, I had more endurance, maybe less facility in terms of certain things, you know, technically, but I had much more relaxation in my dancing. And that was, that was great. I, I learned a lot about what, you know, how to readapt because it wasn't just like walking into the part again and it's fine, but I had just done it in Europe and in, um, <clears throat> in Tokyo. So, you know, I, I, I was ready for it, but that eight shows a week for that long, you know, at 45, I think I was 45. Yeah. That was rough. That's when I had to start taking naps. Oh, <laughs> and after having such a such an iconic role on Broadway that you became so associated with, how did you sort of choose the next role? What was that process like of of picking the next thing you wanted? Well, I, I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing. Oh. I mean, I Bob Fosse saw me and in, in, uh, offered me Sweet Charity. He came back to see me because um, they were doing a national tour and. Um, and he saw the show without me knowing it for about five times, I think. And I guess he wanted to make sure that I was consistent. I don't know. And um, then he offered, I didn't know he was, you know, I want as we're talking, I'm realizing I get all these offers. I don't even know I'm getting the job. And, but, and I, I said, well, do you want me to read for it? He goes, no, you have the job. And we're, we're on the phone and um, that was great. Uh, that was, that's a whole other, Thing. I mean, but working with him and Gwen again as I 25 years later was great, really great. Yeah. Listen, I have to go. Oh, I I just want to uh, make sure that we talked about um maybe maybe two more of the shows. Would that be okay or is that um yeah, yeah. The first one I love to talk about is on the town, which was before chorus line, but how how did this this happen for you? That was an offer too. Oh. I did audition in my life a lot. Um, yeah, I got I got that um, from company. Um, and I left company in Los Angeles when we were doing um, George Shakiris was doing Bobby. And um, yeah, and I went to New York and started rehearsals with Ron Field and everybody. And that was, uh, yeah, that was a, a kind of... A, uh, an up and down experience, but I loved it. I mean that, you know, to be able to work with Leonard Bernstein and and uh, Adolph Green and um, you know, I mean, uh, Ron Field was you know had a a lot on his hands. He was producing, directing, and choreographing, so it was hard. Um, but it was it was it was a wonderful. I'm trying to think what I can tell you about it. And there was a meeting in the basement when. Everybody got together because the producers wanted to keep it running and all of the stagehands and the musicians and the writers uh, said that they wouldn't take salary just to see us get through this difficult 
I think two weeks in February. And never before since have I ever experienced that. That was kind of, everybody loved the show in other words, and they wanted to see it, um, you know, happen, continue, but it didn't, they couldn't do it. And so, yeah, the last thing I'd love to talk about is um, a movie you did with Bob Fosse, which was The Little Prince. Yeah, yeah. And what was it like to be working with him as a performer? Well, we never worked together. We were on different sets. You know, he was in Tunisia and I filmed in the, on the soundstage in London. So we never even saw each other. Yeah. And but th that's the magic of movies, you know, and and it I really enjoyed it, but it was hard because you I didn't have the music that I was going to dance to. Usually the music is what inspires me to, you know, dance and, and all that stuff in the process of when we do musical theater is part of the process. You set the music and then you, you know, the dancing comes. But in the film, I had to create the dance without the music that was going to be set to it. And I used another, I think it's Chicago, the group Chicago, one of their songs and uh, because I liked it and it was, they wanted, Stanley Donan wanted it to be very contemporary, which was a little awkward. Uh, yeah. um, but anyway, I set it to this music I liked, more contemporary and uh, they, got the film and then they set the uh, arrangement after the fact. Yeah. And what do you think about the comparison that some people have made between Bob Fosse and Michael Bennett? Do you think that they were alike in some ways? Oh yeah, they, they loved their work. They had respect for each other. Um, they were very different. You know, their style was very different, but they, they were both, um, I mean, in a general way, they were just real, you know, theater men. They just loved their work and they were passionate about it. And um, they, they were demanding in different ways, yeah. but they, they, they just, they, they wanted the, the best. Bob Fosse, I loved um, because he would always say, you know, that, that's when you would do a scene like, not just once or twice, like they do now in rehearsal, it would do it seven, eight times. Um, and John Doyle is like that too. He believes in repetition because that's when you find your, your spontaneity, you know, with the work. Um, but anyway, Fosse would always say, can you be better? And I would say, why are we doing it so much? And can you give me notes? And he would say, no, can you do better? And I go, well, sure, well, I'll do it. It was like kind of that, you know, um, it was funny. But they both loved the process and the collaboration. So yeah. they were very, they were more similar than maybe people give them credit for, you know? And but their style is very different. And the very last question I'd love to ask you is with, okay. such, with such a legendary career in the theater, what advice would you give to somebody just starting out? Well, I kind of always say the same thing, just um, if you love it and you, and you love what, what, you, know, what you do, um, if you have dreams, just stay with it. Yeah. Don't, don't give up on yourself and don't abandon yourself. Um, if you really love it and you really want it, 
you, you can do it. I mean, you'll find a way. And, you know, I still study voice um, because as you get older, your voice changes. So you have, to, you have to keep that focus and work on the technique always. So I would just say, yeah, just stay with it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. All right, thank Charles. You. Thank you for all your good research. Wow, it was terrific. Listeners, thank you for tuning in, and remember to come back next time when I am joined by Sarah from the original Broadway cast of Company, the inimitable Barbara Berry. Barbara Berry's other Broadway credits include The Wooden Dish, The Bow Stratagem, Happily Never After, The Prisoner of Second Avenue, The Selling of the President, California Suite, Torch Song Trilogy, and the recent Significant Other. She also starred off-Broadway in I Remember Mama, Horseman Pass By, The Crucible, Afterplay, Current Events, Isn't It Romantic, and Big and Little. She is the author of the memoirs Second Act and Don't Die of Embarrassment, and the novel Lone Star. On screen, she starred in One Potato, Two Potato as half of one of Hollywood's first interracial couples, as well as Private Benjamin, Judy Berlin, Breaking Away, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Barefoot in the Park, and Law and Order SVU. So make sure to tune back in next time for that, and thanks for listening!